Right, thank you so much, Mika, from uh, Fluid Intelligence for agreeing to come on, I guess there's a podcast or show. I have still haven't figured out what to call this yet. But if you could please give us a little bit of your background, maybe some like your co-founders and what Fluid Intelligence does, I think that would be a really good place. Thank you, Rafe. Uh, it's great to be here. And great. So my background, I'm coming from like a business, new business product service development areas. And I've been working with uh, quite a few startups and uh, consulting uh, quite a few big organizations over the past years. and. Uh, my co-founder partners, uh, they have a pretty extensive uh, experience from different parts of, uh, of like operational excellence and application excellence uh, from uh, various different industries, but also uh, also from uh, business change management, master data management and analytics. So basically what we are doing, we are combining all of these different aspects and this way we are not basically providing and analytics or, or data service, but really like a holistic end-to-end -end solution for our customers. So we are not delivering the, the data and analytics, but really also the actionable insights and actions. And depending on our customers' uh, own organization, of course, they might take some part of mitigation actions themselves, or then we can something to play and do it for them. But really, the holistic end-to-end -end offering for the customer. So that's basically our background. Yeah, okay, really cool. So the way that I understand what you guys do as a business is there is a, a data and analytics portion, which we'll, we'll get into, right? That's the, I think you guys call it Fluid Eye is the actual yeah, product name. That's correct. But there's also, let's say, lubrication services that go, that could go along with it. So it's not like a one size fits all package. You guys determine which components of the service offering a customer might all want. Yeah. So there's a digital end and there is, if you like, a physical is a physical end. What proportion of, of the business would you say is digital versus, let's say, like hands-on practical? We started our activities five years ago, and I would say at that point, 80 to 90 percent of the activities were like professional service. Hundreds of lab samples each year, different kind of reconditioning, flushing, cleaning, filtration projects, and and so on. And of course, uh, the smaller part was fluid eye side because uh, that was a starting point of, of the solution development. And but now I would say that. It's more or less half and half. Of course, in, in, in the Nordics, and that is our home market, the professional service side could be somewhat higher because I said it's, it's not only the analytics side, but you always need those concrete actions. So we help our customers different challenges. Then again, as, as uh, well, we are on the other end working globally, then uh, most of the activities are then uh, digital because, uh, of course, what's more easier to deliver and, and depending on the country and maybe also depending on the industry, we are seeing that there are like different levels of lubrication excellence in-house in and also equipment that our customers are using. So in some case, customer just take the advice and, and basically they run the whole like reconditioning program and other activities or in some other case, we can provide like some rental units of, for filtration and so on. Yeah, okay. One of the things that I wanted to talk about uh, today and, and what got me interested in the work that you guys do is this idea of maybe we call it lubrication as a service. Maybe to take one step back, could you maybe explain firstly what we mean by as a service? So there's a lot of different industries. People would be pretty familiar with software as a service or entertainment as a service. What, what do people mean when they say SaaS? Yeah, that's a really good question and uh, I suppose it 
bring it in, in this context. And that was basically the leading idea when we founded the company five years ago. And of course, there are different levels of lubrication and service. So in its purest format, basically, we would include everything over there. So what we did first, we took all the lubrication-related costs and tasks in a list, understood what's the overall cost for the customer when they are running our lubrication program in the period of one year, what are the activities, and also the, with other domains it, it, it links. So basically, in its purest format, we could have basically bought our customers oil. So it wouldn't be like their asset anymore, but they would have a fixed monthly or annual fee of a guaranteed lubrication performance. I guess that you could link that to more and more familiar idea of chemical asset management or chemical leasing. That's like the purest, purest format of the lubrication service. And of course, there are different like levels or variations uh, so that we could bring still the visibility to our customers and like guaranteed lubrication performance. But then customer might have some part of the assets like filtration units and uh, they would buy by basic paying of the fluids and so on. Or the other extreme, it is basically as like a lubrication advice as a service. So that would really be more okay, like information service. And then it's up to the customer uh, really to grasp, grasp the benefits. But when we started, of course, we had an idea that, that because we have seen so much uh, outsourcing of different tasks in many industries, and we saw there is not that much house lubrication excellence anymore in many customer partners organizations. So that's why we were starting from the idea that we can really bring it back to the customers with a fixed fee, guaranteed performance. Starting this five years ago, we saw quite many open questions and customers many times quite maybe puzzled with the idea that, that can you really do that? How can you provide like a a guaranteed lubrication service and so on. So maybe just so to jump in there. Maybe we're a bit too early. Yeah, <laughs> so idea. I was thinking maybe just to jump in because I think most, in most people's minds, when you say something like software as a service, people think of like Microsoft 365 that they have on their computer. Yeah. You pay whatever it is, 18 bucks a month or something to use the Microsoft suite of services. When you think of entertainment as a service, people usually think Netflix, Disney Plus. Again, you yeah, pay sure. a, a fixed fee. So. In most mm. people's heads, the as-a-service moniker, if you want to call it that, applies to a subscription service, right? So it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a fixed fee per month. Now, the service that you seemed, or the business model you seem to be outlining gets you to that where it seems to be a fixed monthly fee, but it's more tied to yeah. outcomes. Is that correct? Because you're guaranteeing a certain level of performance. And so you're saying that company X pays for that outcome rather than per unit time. Am I getting that right? Yeah, of course, it needs to tie really closely on the outcomes because how we can do it is that when you know that what kind of machinery we have, what kind of lubrication we're using over there, then we can basically agree with the customer that what level of purity, what level of like chemical composition we are targeting. And once we meet those goals, and also maintain the lubrication's performance over the service period, then we are basically delivering the service that we are promising. And of course, it might mean that we have quite a few different activities along the way. Mm -hmm. So one, one is, of course, having the 
online heartbeat of, of the lubrication and machine performance from the digital server tools, but also then there might be many different uh, activities like filtration, some oil reconditioning and other activities that we need to take. But at the uh, end of the day, of course, what we need to see is that we are meeting the lubrication goals and that's basically then launch basically the service framework for us. So mm. yeah. So that's interesting. Job. So in many ways, the business model of agreeing to a certain set of KPIs with the customer. Yeah. That in many ways drives you to a more digital platform because the only way that you're going to be able to monitor and agree upon those KPIs is if you have more data. Yeah, and that, that's the only way that you're going to be able to meet those yeah. KPIs on your part as well. So that actually drives you to having more data, which means more oil sampling, probably, you know, we'll get into this more sort of yeah. uh, inline sensors and things like that because... Yeah it benefits you to have more data about the application so that you are you can know that you're on track to meet your customers set KPIs so that that's an interesting yeah, that's kind of way of going about it it's bottom up rather than top down from a data gathering standpoint yeah that's absolutely right of course we need to have like a, a real time visibility to the performance and but of course you could do this also manual we have some customers and industry peers uh, who have basically done this traditional way. So there has been some individual persons or small teams who have dedicated in, in the topic and just by having quite a frequent lab sampling, then they've been able to do quite dramatic changes. Like in, in one case, they changed, reduced the oil consumption from 83 tons to 17 tons in a year. And that was done manually, but it was like a full-time work for one person. And of course, as we are seeing that there's well, many, many organizations are having like limited resources. So that's why, of course, we want to automate that and, and use digital tools and means to, to achieve this benefit and spread this uh, this opportunity for us as many as possible. But yeah, it is coming from the data that we are seeing. But I need to also highlight that it's not only like digital data. We are still taking quite a few lab samples and then when you combine like real-time data, like static da data, then you are really getting the best possible um, visibility of the machine and, and fluid performance. Yeah. Okay. So I would like to come back to the sort of the data and the analytics yeah, uh, piece in, in a second. But one thing I just wanted to quickly ask you about when it comes to the business model, because I've dealt with my share of procurement teams mm. in my career. And one thing that they may be not known for is flexibility. So in general, they have a certain expectation from a lubricant supplier, which is generally predicated on dollars per liter. Yeah. Right? Now you come in and you're saying, I'm going to give, you're going to pay in dollars per outcome. How do they respond to that? So my question is, has a couple of parts to it. Do they push back? And if they do... How are you able to get over that hurdle? How are you able to convince them that this is a good and, and robust solution for them? Yeah, really, that's the core question of the whole model. And, and we did our part of, of overcoming those challenges. And uh, even uh, before talking with the purchasing organization, first when we talked with our, our colleagues within uh, in the customer industries, uh, of course, first first thing is that how can we really, 
what's on our responsibility, what's on, on, on customers, and really this, that what if something happens? So who pays the bill, basically, end of the day? That's the key, key question. And, uh, and it took some time. Of course, we were seeing from our customers that some teams were much more prepared to take this kind of model in the use and they saw the benefits. Maybe it came from their understanding to lubrication and, and, and so on. So that they knew that this can really be done and these guys can deliver the service. But then again, the other part of the people we met, they have been much more hesitant to take, take the service. And, and of course, these are relevant questions. Uh, fortunately, we were able to work with our insurance company and the model so that they understood that what we are doing what are we targeting and how we are doing it? And without their support, this wouldn't have been a, a feasible model. So once we were able to tell that, that like one of the biggest uh, insurance companies is, is basically providing then uh, the insurance for this service, then uh, of course that helped us a little bit. But of course, still the biggest question is end of the day that, that the model itself. We've been doing like oil filtration, oil reconditioning, oil changes, time-based overhauls like last hundred years. And now we are turning the model upside down and, uh, and basically saying that well, we don't need to do all of these things, but we do those when it's needed. Yeah. Because we know now much better that what's happening inside of uh, the fluid circulation and, and so on. That's, uh, yeah. so that's really interesting. Again, that's, that's maybe an insight that I hadn't anticipated is that the way that you give assurance to your customers is actually by going through your insurer. And what I think is interesting about that is that once again, that drives you to data heavy platforms, right? Because sure. I've got a couple of mates who are in the insurance industry. Yeah. And the one thing I know about the insurance industry is that they love, like the more data, the better, because they can make a more informed and accurate, not even a decision, but it's a more accurate assessment of the risk. Yeah, um, that's true. And of course, for that, we need to have a, of course, like a regular detailed lab sample data and then really good uh, like online visibility the performance. Mm -hmm. So combining that, it, it's then basically the backbone for the service so that we know that what's happening, what kind of actions we need to take and, and when. So, so how that, are you then? That, 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 that was an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah, time. I can imagine. So now as we start getting to the data conversation, how do you guys, what's being done on the back end to organize all these different streams of data? Because you've already talked, so oil analysis, so standard lab sampling is an important part of building out your models. And then you've mm -hmm. got inline real-time sensors, as I understand it, Yeah. as well. And then you're probably, you know, in a previous conversation that we had, you were also talking about offline data as well. So maybe... That's true. You know, information that's contained with a maintenance management system mm. and trying to incorporate all of these different data streams into actionable insights. Mm. So, so how are you guys taking that approach? What, what are you guys doing with what could be hundreds of different streams of data? Yeah, that's really the work that is like continuous and, and I think it's just taking more and more bandwidth of our activities but but and also uh, in the beginning we, we dis discussed that our activities 
mainly focused on like professional service and oil condition monitoring because lubrication service wasn't that like hot seller in five years ago and now we basically provide like a holistic fluid asset management and the actionable insights so there are different layers and and as you said different types of data so everything boils down to the data structure and the data management how do we manage the data and and it's really like a daily process so every time when we are planning to release some new feature or are seeing some new data stream or demand from our customers then basically we always need to go back to our our data model and see that does it support the new feature or how easily we can bring new data in and but it's really that, that we need to keep the data like consistent and complete because depending on the quality of the data that you are bringing in as good the analysis you are getting out of, of the system so that's really something that we need to pay attention and of course part of the activities we can automate but of course still reflecting back five to ten years of our, our activities there are lots of like data streams or, or data dumps that may not be that complete and holistic so there's first cleaning the data and then you can basically take that to, to the system and also we need to also consider the time horizons as, as you mentioned so we have a, like real-time data that comes from different kind of sensors and uh, all of those are basically telling us or, or talking different language and then uh, like static data but it can also be like uh, super static like uh, standards like cleanliness standards or some mm -hmm. machine specifications that are basically behind of our data but where we can do like a correlation and analysis and so on and then still the dynamic end of of the data or activities is really the analytics the analytics models formulas some algorithms that we are using so there are really many angles to this equation but it really comes down to the data structure and the model so that once you can keep that coherent and consistent then you are you are it's much easier to bring new data and also to develop on top of, of that but yeah, yeah daily okay. task for us yeah, and I haven't got all that much experience with real-time. I've got a fair amount of experience with standard oil analysis. One of the things which I've always found is good about in oil analysis is, let's say, the accessibility of the data. So if I am the customer and I'm using yeah. some kind of third-party lab, they usually have the capacity for me to go in, download the raw data, and then I can do whatever I want with it is that the case with a lot of these real-time sensors where they just output let's say it's vibration data and it's freely accessible to anyone not to anyone but to the sensor owner yeah i think that's a that's a really good question and if we talk about sensors first of all uh, of course there are well range of sensors and and as, as i mentioned those talk <coughs> Quite different languages, and uh, also that how how do you interact with those? Some sensors basically, when you connect those, start pushing the data. Some other sensors, you need to have like a program that basically manages the sensor and, and operates the, the data collection. But then uh, when we come to to the cloud end, and so how accessible the data is, and if if you are basically buying the machine from some, then are you getting the data from there or not? I think that 
Today we are seeing almost like a prerequisite from most of the customers and industry actors that they don't want to have like 10 different dashboards or 10 different solutions. So I think that integration and utilizing API for that are, are quite common nowadays. So you, have, you might have one or two systems where you, where you are basically getting the data and the holistic view of your machinery of fleet performance. So yeah, of course we are getting the data over there and but of course there might be some like proprietary solution providers who don't want to share the data, but seeing from the customer perspective, uh, it should be like a prerequisite that, that you are getting the data in a form or in a platform uh, that you are using like some C CMMS system or, or other system. Yeah. So that sort of, I guess, customer preference seems to point towards the idea that in the IIoT game or mm. whatever you want to call it, that open source will ultimately win, right? Be because that would be customer preference over proprietary algorithms and things like that. Is that your sense of the landscape at the moment? I think that openness, at least how I understand that, like open source coming from the IT side from my past, I'm sure how well that business model will fit into this equation. But in general, I think that more open models should 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 uh, be used, and so that we can really speed up the digitalization and get the benefits. Maybe I could also link that idea to something that we saw 20 years ago in in the Nordics when uh, mobile business was developing so like gsma and the other like standardization so so basically that's something that i haven't seen inside of this industry or or business that much yet so we are seeing for example like lab analysis standards or cleaner standards so so we have a common way of presenting the information and talking about that and interpreting the data then again when we talk about like the iiot side so then we have uh, quite a few like in internet standards over there that we can uh, rely on but what i haven't seen that much is is really that the like the any kind of like a dialogue about standardizing or like digitalization digitalized content and the data inside of this this uh, domain so that this is this could be potentially something that could speed up the whole industry. So mm. if we have more common language to understand different like data streams and what it really means and how we can uh, quickly analyze that, then that could just uh, give quite a huge, uh, huge push to the, the whole industry. So in, in terms of digitalization and, and new business for many actors. And of course, we need to remind, remember that, that all of us, we have some kind of proprietary technologies, data, algorithms, and so on. So, of course, you have like business secrets, but there must be some level of, of areas where we could maybe work together and set some kind of, if not standards, but like commonly agreed ways to understand and, and share the data. So I think that could be something boosting the industry. Yeah. And maybe just the last question about the way this plays out in the future, because I've seen a couple of companies are starting to do this 
as a service mm. model. I think the one that jumps out is SKF, for example. He's promoting the idea of, I think they call it rotation as a service, right? Now, obviously, as a bearing mm. company, that makes sense for them. Mm. I mean, they could effectively charge by number of revolutions yeah. for your equipment. But in a similar way, with you guys focusing on lubrication and them focusing on rotation, that element, whether it's the bearing or the lubricant, is only one mm. part of a wider system. So with, yeah. you know, with a bearing, a bearing is an enabler, but it's usually attached to a, whether it's a prime mover or a gearbox or whatever. In mm. the same way, the lubricant is part of a system, whether it's a turbine or a compressor or a gearbox. Yeah. So for you guys to be able to guarantee lubrication quality and for them to be able to guarantee the quality of the rotation, you almost need yeah. to have control over as many uh, variables as possible. Is that kind of like a fair statement? Yeah, I, I think that you're right in that sense that, of course, we discussed earlier that we need quite a bit of like online data to mm. understand what's happening. And of course, then once we have the data, we have done the root cause analysis and, and we provide the excellent insight either yeah. to our team, our customers team, or even the machines directly with machine to machine commands. So, so yeah, we right. talk about both autonomous activities. So of course, yeah, we basically need, we need to cover every bit of the equation so yeah. provide the service but of course depending on factories of fleet owners own like lubrication and reliability competence there are like variations and it could be that it's on like a lubrication advice as a service or the other end if, if the strategy is that they are outsourcing all non-strategic activities then it would be really like a, a turnkey like lubrication service yeah because it I guess I was th just thinking about the components that affect lubricant quality in, in, yeah. in air quotes is let's say for example I'm trying to guarantee the quality of the, or the life of the lubricant maybe let's say for example filtration plays a component in that yeah so now in order to guarantee the quality of the lubricant I want to have control over the filtration the other thing that also governs lubricant life could be the temperature let's say that the turbine runs at so now yeah. As a lubricant provider, I want to have control over the machine temperature. And we start to stray into territory where maybe we don't have that much. It almost feels like from here on, it becomes a land grab because you're trying to have control over as many variables as possible. But I think it'll be interesting to see how the industry plays out. Yeah, no, I think the temperature sounds really simple measure in, in this whole equation. But many times I, it has a, quite a critical role. And of course, uh, when once you mentioned the uh, example of like turbine, then in our case, continuous dialogue with our customers so that we are seeing variations and, uh, and some anomalies that may link to temperature. Then, of course, there's a dialogue with them and that. Uh, and so that then they are the party who basically controls the temperature or, or take the needed actions if, if, if needed. But, but yeah, as I said, uh, I think that we started five years ago this journey and we've seen that gradually we are going to pretty soon uh, the lubrication service, but seeing the whole industry, like, and as you mentioned, that lubrication links to, to many areas in, within the organization. Like annual, annual cost of unplanned downtimes for the whole industry is something like 600 billion, and uh, like lubrication and related services, it's on, only that is something like 200, 250 billion. So those are massive annual costs and 
what we've seen lately, and as you mentioned, uh, examples as SKF, we've seen also some other cases where some big companies are targeting like a billion level lubrication service services in coming next five, four or five years. But still putting that in the context, 2% of, of direct annual lubrication and related costs are like 5 billion. And if the world's biggest companies are targeting 1 billion. So there's a huge opportunity for all of us to, to basically work smarter, more automatically uh, apply digitalization in, in our activities and process and really target the 250 billion uh, cost base, not to mention uh, the big cost of, of unplanned downtime that many times have direct impacts of, of one or other form of challenges in, in the lubrication. I think that, yeah, it's a big task for the whole industry. Yeah, Mika, thanks so much. I, I gained a lot of insight I thanks, think, from that discussion and I've certainly got some things that I want to take away and have a little bit of a think about. Really appreciate you sharing some of the challenges that you've come against over the last five years, trying to get this service model in some ways accepted by industry. So I, I thought that was really interesting. And yeah, if anyone's got questions or comments, as usual, please leave them down below in the comment section. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Rafe. All right. Easy as. Yeah.